Hello everyone, and welcome to Powerful Nothing, a Magic the Gathering podcast. This is episode 1, and today we're going to be doing a set review for March of the Machine. There's a lot of cool cards in this set, and as always, I am joined by James. How's it going, dude? Hello, yeah, it's going good, it's going good. Uh, Reading through the spoiler, looks like we've got some spicy ones for Cube, so yeah, let's have a look. Yeah, a lot of cool cards for us to go through today. Some housekeeping before we kick off. In this episode, we're going to be looking at white, blue, black, and red. And then next week, we'll be looking at everything else. So do make sure you are subscribed to get notified when that video comes out. Okay, so I think best to just kick off with our first white card. We have Archangel Elspeth. It is two white white for a legendary Planeswalker Elspeth with four starting loyalty. It has a plus one of create a 1-1 white soldier creature token with lifelink, a minus two of put two plus ones on counters on target creature. It becomes an angel in addition to its other types and gains flying. And a minus six of return or non-land permanent cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So all the abilities on this, I think, are fine. Um, everything seems fair, but nothing kind of really grabs me, if that makes sense. Nothing feels kind of overly broken. I think it's a very solid planeswalker. I think most of the time, I would imagine you're obviously playing it on four. You're probably going to be plusing one to make a 1-1 one, one lifelink. Next turn, you're minusing two making that a 3-3 flying lifelink. If you have a board state already, you could make one creature that you, that you already have bigger and obviously fly, but kind of, I'm not sure if that's what you want just from a, just from your four drop to do. I think you kind of maybe want a bit more. If I'm playing it and minusing two straight away, then I'd probably just want to take like a card like Unbreakable Formation, which kind of does it to your whole board or a different spell that kind of bumps up your whole board rather than just making one thing a little bit bigger. Also, like, White four drop planeswalkers is a very hard slot to kind of break into. Like, I don't think this is better than Gideon, ally of Zendikar, and I don't think it's better than the Wandering Emperor. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if, if you remember James, the blue planeswalker Mu Yangling Sky Dancer. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Well, a good one, but never saw playing cube. No, is that, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it kind of has a similar style of pattern of kind of like plus one sort of protect itself. Next turn, you minus it to make a flyer. In in more kind of budget cubes and kind of like less powered cubes, like that 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 card is solid, and that's kind of where I see Archangel Elspeth. But because it's a mythic and it's kind of like the big storyline card, there's a chance that this could just be wildly expensive for a little bit. Um, what's your take, James? What do you think? Yeah, I can certainly see it. I think. Listen, I think this is a pretty powerful card. If you like want to put it in your cube, then people will take it and they'll play it because it's good and it will kill people. On the other hand, it's just really hard to make a case for this over like any of the other white four drops people put in their cube. Um, the card I was thinking of was Elspeth Knight Serent, which I think kind of used to be a cube staple and has kind of got power crept out a bit by like Seasons Engineer and palace jailer and whatnot but um if you compare that card to this one i think like you know the plus is pretty much the same for plusing to make a feature the um that one pluses to give plus three plus three in flying it's only till end of turn but i think that actually matters less than you'd think because um when you're using that plus you're killing them so quickly but like normally in like two turns it kind of doesn't matter that much if counters stick around um and yeah i think so i think it significantly weaker than a card that is already not quite powerful enough to make the cut um but yeah so if you want if you like that card sweet i want to put it in then like it's not that it's not like so weak no one will play it but it's just not the most powerful option at its bottom of the curve 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, for, specifically four drop in white is a very four cube where you can only run so many of them. It's a very competitive slot. Yeah, and that's for sure. Yeah. Cool. Don't take away with that cool. next one. Yeah. So next up we have Conjurer's Mantle. It is one white for a artifact equipment with equip one. It has the equipped creature gets plus one plus one and vigilance. Solid start. But we need a little more. Uh, whenever equipped creature attacks, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a card that shares a creature type with that creature, so with the attacking creature, from among it, them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Um, so I think this is a pretty interesting card. If you put it in you know, your general white aggressive deck, maybe you have like six humans, um, Sure, you'll hit some of the time, um, but you're not necessarily hitting, getting a choice of creatures, you're not necessarily getting a creature you want, and there's a decent chunk of the time you'll just miss. And um, if you're not hitting, then this is worse than, like, Short Sword, and no one puts Short Sword in their cube. Um, so you need to be able to hit, you need to be able to hit reliably. Uh, and that means you need to be have a lot of creatures with the same type. So I think this pretty clearly points towards a tribal deck. Um, now, if you just have one tribe in white, the problem is, say say I have like humans is the tribe I have in white. Well, this isn't the best humans payoff you could put in in its slot. Where I think this does get interesting is if your cube is really tribal heavy, and let's say I have multiple tribes in white, then this is a really nice pivot card between them. Let's say I had like green white humans, but also blue white spirits. And it's really nice to have like a payoff that works in either of those decks, lets you stay open a bit longer in the draft, maybe. Um, so I think it's kind of niche, but maybe in you know there are cubes that go really heavy on tribal, that might be a spot. Yeah, I yeah I completely agree. I think yeah the main thing is the chat like what the chances are of you hitting this. Like if you're hit if you're hitting every other swing, then it probably doesn't get there. But if you th- if you can. What's the math on this? That look, there's like thirty cards in your deck by the time this is coming down and equipping something like that. What's that? What do you need? Like five? Is that, is that only five? Five other humans? Would you say? Or yeah, but remember, it's five humans left in your deck. You already have one human that you've drawn. Yes, but I I think the bigger issue is right. Um, let's say you have five, uh, six humans, and that's your most represented creature type. But then a bunch of the time, the creature that you happen to have drawn and be attacking with won't be a human. It will be like your hippogriff, and you have one hippogriff, <laughs> and this is no good. You have a zero chance of hitting other hippogriffs. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's more like finding that creature that is of the represented type, and you don't get to choose which of your creatures live and you get to attack with. So you kind of need to have like quite a density of one type, I think. No, I no, I think that's fair. Like I, I'll be honest. I think I'm I'm a little higher on this card, but that's kind of just it, it is a thing of just like I, in my own cube, I have um, is it Thalia's lieutenant and the one that, like, uh, when you play a human after it, it gets a count on it, that kind of thing, and just yeah. naturally, like most good white creatures nowadays are just naturally humans. Like, like it isn't that hard to just have half your white cards be humans like, like sure. I, I do lose some things by kind of not running like things like isimaru or adonto vanguard that kind of thing but yeah i think if you have champion of the parish and i think if you have thai's lieutenant and you are kind of 
not making white a full-on human tribal deck, but you're leaning players in that direction by rewarding them by playing things like Thali's Lieutenant and Champion of the Parish. I think this could be interesting because there are there are also like token makers that make humans. So you have things like Usher of the Fallen. Um, again, again, you have to put this on the token, not the actual creature. So that isn't fantastic. But yeah, it, yeah, this could be a bit deadly if you're not going full-on tribal. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I can see it. Maybe I'm underrating it a little bit for like human tribal or whatever. Um, as you say, I think yeah, in your cube, it's you don't make massive sacrifice in crowd quality, and you do just have a lot of humans. Um, but I do think you need a lot of humans for it to be good. Uh, yeah. Like even if you had, say, you had like fifteen creatures and like eight of them were humans, I think the problem you could run into is like of your two early creatures, one of them's a human, one of them isn't. You play this, your opponent will realize that you're way more likely to hit with a human so they'll kill the human leave you with the non-human and you won't hit yeah the i guess the other the other way it could go is you could hit all of your humans in the top six put one of them in your hand and then put a load of good creatures onto the bottom of your library that could be a bit awkward <laughs> definitely also a thing cool well yeah i think let's move on to elish norm which is our first first of a couple double-sided cards of the day so Elish Norn is two white-white for legendary creature Phyrexian Praetor. It is a 3-5 with Vigilance. Whenever a source an opponent controls deals damage to you or opponents you control, that source's controller loses two life unless they pay one generic mana. It also has the activated ability to and a white sacrifice three other creatures and exile Elish Norn, then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner control, activate only as a sorcery, and it transforms into the Argent Etchings, which is a saga. Chapter 1, which happens straight away as soon as you do this, incubate 2 five times, then transform incubator tokens that you control. So this is the first time we've seen incubate. This basically means you make a incubator token with plus one counters on it equal to the incubate number. So with this first uh, chapter of this saga, you make five incubate tokens, all with two plus one counters on them. Incubate generally just says pay two generic mana to flip them, but this card flips them all straight away. So effectively, just with the chapter one, you are putting 10 power onto the board. That is pretty scary. It gets scarier in chapter two with creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain double strike until end of turn. And then chapter three, destroy all other permanents except for artifacts, lands, and Phyrexians. Importantly, the incubated tokens transform into Phyrexians. Uh, exile the Argent Etchings, then return it to the battlefield. So you flip it back into the front side of Elish Norn. So there's a lot to go over with this card. It is a lot of card. There's a lot of words. Um, front side first. So the important part of the front side for me is that that ability of your opponent losing two life unless they pay one triggers if damage is dealt to not only you, but your permanence that you control. So that means that if they're just blocking you, or just blocking your creatures, or just or just any kind of combat damage like that, if they don't pay one for each occurrence of that, they will lose two life. That can really add up to a lot of damage very quickly, or or if not, kind of just like really stifle what your opponent is trying to do because it just makes everything, all of their choices, very miserable. How that effect works on a card, so kind of as a four drop in an aggro deck, it means that your opponent always has to pay one whenever they deal damage to your opponent, so it means that they can't really be blocking your stuff unless they are just leaving all their mana up and not doing anything. Um, then obviously this card is also going to be quite solid, I think, in a control deck. This kind of, It's quite good in a number of things. Like, do you need to stabilize? Good. Here you go. It's a 3-5 Vigilance that has that abilities. Um, of all the Praetors we're going to be talking about over the two videos, um, we're not... Spoiler, we're not talking about all of them. Um, 
but I think this is probably the second most likely to flip. Like three other creatures is not nothing as a cost. But if you already have tokens, if you're already doing aristocratic stuff, it is definitely doable. Like, like, like realistically, all you have to do to flip this is to just curve out. You can curve out, play Elish Norn, flip it the next turn, and then you're putting yet yeah, 10 power onto the board immediately. And then the next turn, they're all attacking as three threes with double strike. That's like 30 damage potentially on turn five, unless my math is wildly wrong. Like, the fact that this card is, I think, going to be solid as a four drop in an aggro deck, and then just as a control deck. Or like, like it was like a year ago we were playing like like seven mana for like Cura Best of the Sea God as like a control finisher. This just asks you to curve out and play this on four, and you're probably going to win. Yeah, I think this is incredibly powerful. I think um, the spot where I think it's best is a go wide deck. Um, for a bunch of reasons obviously you have the mass pump on the back and it's but i think more importantly it's way easier to flip if you're making creature tokens and you're not like sacrificing your whole board that you've invested a bunch of cards into because it is um it is worth noting they get a opportunity to respond to you playing that cost um there is a world where you go pay three mana sacrifice three creatures uh, you put this trigger on the stack, and your opponent goes, "Okay, cool, sorts of plowshares," and you're down your free creatures and your Elish Norm. Oh, that is miserable. And okay. you're in a lot yeah. of trouble. Um, but I think subtly that first ability is kind of also a go wide payoff, um, because if you like, if you have like one other creature that's like a four four on this, then that ability doesn't matter very much. They can. If they, if you're going to attack them, they can either leave up and they're going to block. They can either like leave up one mana, or they can just take two. It's not a huge deal. It doesn't really matter. But if instead of having that one four four, you had four one ones, and you're going to swing them with all of them, well, they kind of can't block them because they take more damage from blocking them than if they don't block them, and they can't leave up four mana every turn. Um, and this really scales, you know, if you play something like a Secure the Waste and make like 10 1-1s, you can, you know, they're just unblockable now, and it even worked, you know, they also can't attack into them. If they attack with a, like, a 5-5 five five and you block with 5 1-1s, one well, if you deal 1 to each of them, they're taking 10. Yeah. Um, they could just deal all the damage to one of them, but then they don't kill your creatures. I think, I think if you make a lot of creatures, that Punisher ability gets way more powerful. I think it's like pretty medium if you're just like playing playing generic big guys. But I think if you're going wide, it's pretty good. Um, and then obviously it lets you flip your flip your planes, well, flip into the Saga at much more achievable cost. And the Saga is pretty unbeatable, honestly, isn't it? As you say, 10 power split over five bodies. Next turn, they all have double strike, and that's the yeah, win. Is there a world like? Do you think in one on one, someone will ever flip this back? <laughs> like, are you ever? Is Ellis Norn ever coming back the second time? <laughs> I really don't think that matters. No. Yeah, <laughs> they are already dead. Unless you just really want to, and you don't attack with all your yeah. three three double strikes. I, uh, yeah, I don't really see that one coming up too much. I guess theoretically there is an engine there, but you really don't need it. They're dead. <laughs> Go get a beer. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, but yeah, no, this card's super pushed. Because the, um, yeah, like, it's, and it's the fact that you get all this on a really respectable body as well. Like, yeah. four mana, three, five Vigilance is not at all bad. Yeah. One hell of a card. Uh, yeah. So, so assuming your your playgroup enjoys like reading comprehension tests, I think <laughs> this is a really good card. Yeah. But nice. dear lord, wizards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. Um, next up, we have Guardian of Girapur. This is two and a white for a free free flyer. It's a creature angel and has when Guardian of Girapur enters the battlefield, exile up to one other target creature or artifact you control, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Um, so I think the card that comes to mind for me with this one is Flicker Wisp. Um, if you haven't played with this, these Flicker effects much, they can be really powerful if you, if you just build around them a little and Obviously, this scales with the amount of enter the battlefield abilities you have. If you go like blade slicer into this, you're you're having a great time. Um, now, if we compare it to a flicker wisp, the upside is it's a free free, not a free one. That is a huge deal. It means you don't just get blanked by oh, I played lingering souls and now this creature does nothing. Um, on the other hand, flicker wisp, you can flicker other people's creatures. You can flicker enchantments, you can flicker lands. All of these cases do come up. Um, uh, it's even great in little edge cases, like, you know, they've mind-controlled your creature and you flicker with this and you get it back. This only does creatures or artifacts you control, so that's a limitation for sure. Um, but I think they're pretty close in power level, honestly. I think the extra toughness makes up for a lot of that. Um, and certainly, if you have a flicker theme, that's fairly aggressive, by all means play both. I think it's a really good effect. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think this is, yeah, this and Flicker are probably the strongest f Flicker spells if you're not trying to do, like, combo-y stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, you have a Flicker sub theme in your aggressive decks, yeah. and these are already really good aggressive creatures. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I guess the biggest difference is that, so this one doesn't combo with stuff because it brings things back at the beginning of the next end step, whereas things like Restoration Angel and Felidar Guardian bring things back straight away, so they tend to kind of lead to more combo-y stuff. Like, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. It, if you're doing enter the stuff or just if, if if you just want to reset the initiative or something like that, then yeah, I think Guardian Gurpur is a very solid creature on a very decent body. Like three mana, three three flyer is just actually very good. It's a clock, yeah. Precious Planeswalkers. And also Precious leads us into our next card nicely by attacking battles. What does that mean? It does. Well, so yeah, this is our first battle. We'll give a quick TLDR. I will put a link down in the description below to a video I've already done where I kind of talk about battles in a bit more detail. Like, There's definitely some kind of cool things to do with them. There are some more edge cases. We'll kind of generally be talking about them as they um, are going to be used in cube. I the TLDR of battles is that you cast them for the front side and you get an effect straight away, kind of like a sorcery or like an enchantment that has an ETB effect. Um, when you do, uh, you give the battle to an opponent and they have to defend them, kind of like how they would de defend a planeswalker that they control. So you can attack them, you can deal damage to them. Uh, they each have a number in the bottom right-hand corner and that is how much damage they can take. When you remove the last counter from them, they flip over and you get to cast the backside, which also has an effect. Uh, 
I'll read Invasion of Gobekan in a moment, but let's just talk about this. It's probably a good time to just talk about battles in general, kind of like, like because it is a new card type. It is an, on top of being a new mechanic as well. Um, my general opinion of them in terms of how they'll play out in cube is that generally I think you, for them to see play, I think you want the front side to do something. You want to be getting your um, value from it straight away because effectively the way these kind of play out is you're effectively giving your opponent's life equal to the kind of defense damage because it's it's damage you're not dealing to them either through combat or with a burn spell. So a lot of these do have very powerful backsides, but for for me, for it to warrant a place in a cube, you need to be getting something from the front side straight away. And then kind of the backside is kind of like a bonus, if that makes sense. If you're in a position where you can effectively give your opponent X amount of life to get the backside, if the backside will help you in the longer game, then it could be worth it. But yeah, for it to warrant a slot, I think you kind of want the front side to be doing something. James, what's... What's kind of your opinion? What's your take on on battles? Yeah, I think I'd agree with all that. Um, certainly, the front side can't be irrelevant. Um, but the front sides, I think, are mostly a little bit overcosted versus if that was all you got on a spell. Um, I don't think there are any of them that you're playing in your control deck with no intention of ever flipping them. Um, for me, when I look at these cards, I think they need to go in aggressive decks with cheap creatures because I want to be able, because I think for it to go from slightly overcosted spell to really snowball-y spell is when you get to play it and attack it really quickly and get that payoff within a turn or two, ideally. Um, so, And that means you need pressure and it means you, and I think it also means that the battles that contribute something to the board whether that be a creature or the moving an opponent's creature something that lets you attack i think those battles go up quite a lot because they enable you to flip them um if you if you say there's a battle that creates a free free haste that free free haste could then attack the battle if there's a battle that kills a creature that gets their blocker out of the way you can attack the battle straight away um i think they want to be they get a lot better when they're working into their own game plan like that. And yeah, I think in general, you want to be surrounding them with creatures. I don't think there are many that will go in your control deck. No, that's no, that's completely fair. I think that's probably a good time for me to, uh, to read Invasion of Govacan. Um It is one and a white for a battle siege. So also, quickly, siege is a subtype of battles. It means we could see other battles in the future. It comes in with three defense counters on it, which means you need to deal three damage to it, as we've gone over. When it comes into play, look at target opponent's hand. You may exile a non-land card from it. For as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may play it. A spell this way casts two generic more to cast. If you do remove the three counters from it, it flips into a light shield array. Actually, on that, you, 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 you do technically cast the back, so I think it can be countered. That's something... Yeah, McCab. Light Shield Array is the back of Invasion of Gobekan. It is an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, put a plus one encounter on each creature that attacked this turn. Sacrifice Light Shield Array. Creatures you control weigh in hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. I'll be honest, your take has made me reevaluate this card a little bit in terms of pressure and stuff. I So before you, you said the stuff about um, 
affecting the board and that kind of stuff. I I still think this card is solid to fine. Um, we've seen the sort of hand attack uh, on delay before in white with Elite Spellbinder. That is one more mana, but you do get a 3-1 flyer, which I will agree 95% of the time, if not more, will just be better because you have something that can actually kill your opponent or block, that kind of thing. But the fact this, that this also only has defense counters of three mean that it is you can defeat this battle at not too much of a cost. Like you can play this on, I guess, turn three and you could kill it on, on that turn effectively if you've just curved out beforehand. Um, the flip side of this, putting a count on each creature that, that attack this turn, I do think is quite good because um, I'm assuming this also, I'm assuming because this checks end steps, it will also include the counters on the creatures that have attacked the battle and caused it to flip. Um, which, which which I think is kind of solid because I know aggro decks don't really want to be taking a turn off and giving your opponent some life. But if the flip side of that is your creatures are bigger for next turn when you are swinging through to them, that could be good enough. And then um, just kind of as a package of the card, like I think the fact that it, if you are in that aggressive deck, you can kind of take, you can put their board wipe preferably or their removal spell on delay you can then attack this, flip it, and then you have that protection for it. So th- this, th- th- this can sacrifice to basically blank your opponent's board wipe that you, in theory, have seen, have seen coming. That might be like the ultimate perfect scenario for this, and outside of that, it might not be good. I am completely open to that. But I do think this card is interesting, and it's one of the two battles that I am at least intrigued to potentially test. Um, what's What do you think, James? What's your take? Sure. I, I I don't think it's terrible. I think I'm a little bit lower on it than you, maybe. Um, I agree it certainly has to go in an aggressive deck. Um, we're not just in for this front side on its own. Um, I, the, I don't think you want it as your play on turn two. It's my issue in the yeah, aggressive no, deck. I think in almost any curve, you'd rather be playing a creature on two than play this. Um, so yeah, I think the reason I think it needs to go in an aggressive deck is the that disruption ability, that taxing ability, that's really good on Elite Spellbinder, but the reason it's good is because you are pressuring the opponent. You have that fear on fire. You're killing them before they can just wait a couple more turns, make a couple more land drops, and play the spell anyway. Um, it's not really great disruption if you're like planning to play along the game because it, it just wears out, essentially. Um so yeah, uh, I think it needs to be an aggressive deck. We need to plan it with a lot of other cheap creatures because we want to play a creature on turn two. We don't want to play this on turn two. I think the turns where it can be good is like turn four, turn five, you play another cheap spell, maybe a, like a creature or a cheap removal spell, get their blocker out of the way. You have a board already. You swing probably some of your creatures at this battle. Some of your creatures may be at them if you have good attacks. Um and then you get to flip your battle, you put your counter on all of your creatures straight away, um, and you have this protection ability, which is pretty good. Um, the games where you do that, I think it will look absolutely incredible. Um, but it's just the games where you don't have that incredible, where you aren't don't already have that board advantage, it doesn't do that much. And you know, if you compare this card to like Glorious Anthem, like the games it works, this card's way better. But um, Glorious Anthem lets you attack in spots where you couldn't otherwise. This 
doesn't do that because you don't get the pump until you have been able to attack it. Um, well, it is worth noting, I think, with these battles, by the way, that the um, we've talked a lot about attacking them. You can also like lightning bolt a battle. That does work, and that could be kind of powerful too, I guess. If you're in like Boris Agro, you play this, you take some, you tax the thing in their hand, you bolt it, you get some pump if you can attack. Um, but I, I, I think overall, I'm like, I, it might be worth trying. I don't love it. No, that's fair. I think, I think from Grand Betty, just that's the thing. Like these aren't. It's not often you get a new card type. Like, was the last one just like legitimately planeswalkers, or was tribal after that? Like, you don't get new card types that often. So, we're we're recording this like several days before pre-release, so none of us have even like touched these cards or kind of seen how they play. Um, yeah, for sure. Feel free to play your pre-releases and tell me why I'm wrong in the <laughs> comments. No, exactly. But like, 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 I think just specifically, actually, just just one final thing on Invasion of Godbrokan is like, actually, the more I am reading it, like, I think there is definitely kind of a, oh, it's a new card, I want to try it. But just from talk, from just going through the, from, from actually just talking about when it is good, it does actually feel just more like a sideboard card. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of pure sideboard cards in Cube, so that might just be a reason why this one particularly doesn't see play, but we have some other battles on the list. We'll talk about the good ones that, that we think works, and we'll kind of get to them as we get to them in the colours. But yeah, do you want to take our next uh, white card, James? So next up, we have Progenitor Exarch. It is XX and a white for a 1-2 creature Phyrexian Cat Cleric. When Progenitor Exarch enters the battlefield, you incubate three X times. So you're going. That means you're going to create X incubator tokens. They each have three plus one plus one counters on them, and you can pay two to flip them into creatures, which will then be free fees. And except within the case of this cards, you sometimes won't have to play to transform them because it also has the ability tap transform target incubator token you control. Um, so I think with these cards, it is worth noting. Um, if you play this card and then the next turn you transform your, your incubator token, that incubator token can attack straight away. Uh, because it's been in play um, since the previous turn, even though it doesn't say haste on it, it it has been in play, so it can attack. It doesn't matter that it wasn't a creature last turn. Um, having said that, I think with this sort of X card, you have to run through how it looks on a couple of points in a curve to get the power level. An X is one, if you compare this to a card like Blade Splicer, it does not do well. Blade Splicer gives you a 3-3 with first strike. That's a massive deal over not first strike. It blocks right away. This doesn't defend you very well because it's, um, unless you have that two mana right away, it's not going to be able to block on your opponent's coming turn. And doesn't have first strike. And crucially, a lot of reasons to play a card like Blade Splicer is you can flicker it. This doesn't give you any value when it, you flicker it. it. When it comes back, it'll see the value of X as zero and not do anything. Um, obviously, the upside of this is, well, it scales. Um, at five mana, you're getting two incubator tokens. Next turn, you can probably like pay to flip one, tap to flip the other. If you're attacking for six, yes, that is powerful. It's not... Um, you wouldn't play that as a five drop in many cubes, I don't think. Um, but as a split card, and sure, once in a while you'll play it for seven. Um, I don't think it's terrible. 
it's not like the most exciting card in the in the set, but I think like it's decent at at every point in the curve, and that's kind of okay. Um, also, you know, you it makes a bunch of artifacts. If you have a bunch of artifacts synergies in your white deck, maybe that's the spot for it. Um, yeah, I think on raw no synergy power level, I think it's fine, but probably doesn't make for cut. No, no, I think that's fair. Like, I, I, I think that there are some cubes which have specific synergies that I do think will really like this. But it is specifically you one are caring about the artifacts and are two also sort of caring about the plus one plus one plus one plus one counters. Like if you're doing like, like if you have like artifacts in white X and the, like aggressive artifacts in like white X and you have like green white to be like a plus one plus one counter Eve like conclave mentor that kind of synergy where kind of you pay this and they become incubate, like effectively like four fours or five fives because of stuff getting more counters on them. That's where I think this could see a play. Like it is a niche wedge. I would admit that, but yeah, I think it, like, yeah, there will be some cubes that want this and I'm also assuming this will be quite cheap as well. So yeah, I can see that it ticks a lot of synergy boxes, right? Uh, but white is often in, it makes multiple artifacts. It puts lots of plus, multiple plus one, plus one counters into play. Um, I I could certainly see it coming up, yeah. Awesome. Right, we have our first blue card now. We have Chrome Host Seed Shark. It is two in a blue for a 2-4 creature Phyrexian Shark. It has flying, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, incubate X, where X is that spell's mana value. So, again, similar to the last card, the fact that this makes artifacts I do think is huge. Like, secretly the best part of like third path iconoclast to me is that it does a similar thing that it just puts artifacts onto the board this just overlaps with those decks so nicely like if you're doing like construct token things i think this is really good because it makes a lot of artifacts um one thing i actually mentioned about um the incubate tokens actually um is that we've had a lot of sets recently where like you have things like power stones you have treasure you have things that kind of um you have ways of getting additional value with these artifacts. These are the first ones that can actually kill your opponent. Like they flip into creatures. Like, like this could add up quite quickly. Um, and then yeah, I think they're fine just in your stat standard like is it tempo type deck. Like it is a two and a blue for a two four flyer that just gives you more value, gives you some creatures to kill them with. I think that is quite good. I would consider playing this if it made any of the artifact tokens that I previously mentioned. But the fact that it makes incubate tokens, I think, is very strong. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. I think this is a really cool card, actually. I think this is this is a really exciting addition. Um, I think the other thing that's worth noting is there are a few cards which already cease play in a lot of cube, which really is which really go off with this. Um, specifically, like imagine you play this on turn three and you have a force of will in your hand. Ooh, how do you lose that game? Ooh. You're going to yeah. force their turn three play, untap, pay two, you're attacking with a 5-5 five five and a 2-2 two two flyer. Or, if probably slightly later in the game, play this, cast your treasure cruise. Yeah. You get you get an 8-8. Eight eight. Like, sure, you have to put two more mana into it, but yeah, I'll put two more mana to get my 8-8. Eight eight. That's absolutely phenomenal. You don't even... And also worth noting, they don't actually get... Because you'll play this, then you'll have priority. If you want to cast that spell immediately and get your immediate value, their removal won't stop you getting the first token. Oh, fantastic. Um, 
yeah, no, I think this card's this card's pretty exciting to be honest. And yeah, those are just the like top end scenario, but yeah, as you say, also like pumping out multiple small artifacts, even if you're not immediately flipping them, like you just need pieces of cardboard in play that say artifacts on them. Like that's also can be really strong. I think I think this is a really cool card because it's like it's powerful, but it will be powerful contextually in different spots and like be pushing in different synergy directions and you've got to like find a place for it in your deck and i i think that's just, i think this is a really good inclusion no definitely like like i've been tr- i've definitely played a lot of these style of effects in cube like i i don't think i've, I've ever ran tau rand but i've definitely run like poppet stitcher and the four mana one four that makes one one flyers i think I think I'm higher on this than all of them. I'd agree with that. Like I actually found Poppy Stitcher a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. I just like it does the base thing that that, that they do, but just it synergizes with so many things. And yeah, and, and yeah, I didn't even think about like the upside of like Force of Will or like 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 Snuff Out is in a lot of cube. That's for me. yeah. The swing when you play this into Snuff Out is ridiculous. Yeah, no, this does a very very passable Chuck Typhoon impression for three mana. That's that's pretty phenomenal. Cool. Do you want to take away with our next one? We have an invitational card, or I think, or a... cool. Yeah. So next up, we have the invitational card of the mighty Yuta Takahashi, world champion number twenty-seven. I guess. Wait, is that right? I'm yeah, twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. I can read. <laughs> In my defense, for people not watching the video, it was Roman numerals. It wasn't just me failing to read the numbers two and seven. But, um, but anyway, we'll move on to that. Anyway, yeah, Yusuke Takahashi's card, great player, well known for crushing with fairies, even in formats where it is not strictly or even loosely playable. Um, so yeah, lo- love this card. Um, also, the v- shout out to Wizards for I feel like they've landed in a great spot with like all of these invitational cards. Like Paolo's one was great, um, Javier's one was great. They always had, seem to end up in that nice spot of like good, playable, interesting, never busted. Um, so yeah, good, good on them for that. Um, this one I think looks really cool too. Uh, so it's called Fairy Mastermind. It is one blue for a 2-1 creature fairy rogue with flash and flying. Also has, whenever an opponent draws their second card of the turn, you draw a card. And it has an ability, free and a blue, each player draws a card. So obviously that's going to work with the first ability. Um, presuming you do this and your opponent has already drawn a card, i.e. activate it on their turn, not on your turn. But when you activate this ability, you will draw two cards and they will draw one card because you'll draw the regular ability and it will trick. Um, I really like this card. Um, two mana, two one flash flyer really doesn't need a lot more text. Um, think about how strong flash flyers like um, Vendillion Click and things are. Like a lot of the time, you're just like using that body in that scenario. Because it lets it gives you so much flexibility. You get to leave up your counter spells, you get to leave up your removal. If they don't play into them, you go end of turn, here's some pressure. You can't block it. I'm gonna attack your planeswalkers, I'm gonna attack you, I'm gonna attack for battles I've given you. Um that's really valuable. And then this is a fantastic little value engine. Um you'll get 
an incredible amount of value just off that um, the passive without ever activating this. If your opponent has a ponder in their hand, they're absolutely miserable. Anyone who's played uh, with or against a hold breacher knows what I'm talking about. Um, if their cantrips are sorcerers, they can't play them on your turn, so they either don't play them or they trigger this ability and give you a free card for nothing. Um, and then with that second ability, if you ever run out of stuff to do with your mana, or you've just left up other interaction, you're in their end step, you haven't used your mana, you get to basic, you get to draw two and they draw one, and that's generally great for you. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really like this card. I think this is a really nice little two drop for blue. Um, obviously, better if you're, you have a vaguely aggressive or tempo-y blue deck, but honestly, I would play this in most blue decks. I think it's very good. No, definitely. No, I think you kind of nailed it. I don't, um, the only thing I have to add is more kind of like, um, I think I heard an anecdote about this card that um, when they were designing it, I think he wanted it to be a 1-3 so he could flash it in to block Ragavan. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. The uh, the natural enemy of Yusa yeah. Takahashi, I imagine, <laughs> is a Ragavan. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, definitely very, very strong card. Cool. Well, speaking of one freeze, take us away with the next one. Yep. So next up, we have Rona, Herald of Invasion. It is a one day blue for a 1-3 legendary creature, Human Wizard. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, untap Rona, Herald of Invasion. It also has tap, draw a card, then discard a card. So base level, it's a looter. We like that. It also has five Anaphyrexian black mana, which means you can be paid with... Uh, to life or a black mana to transform Rona, which you activate only as a sorcery. When you do, it transforms into Rona Talarian Obliterator, which is a 5-5 legendary creature Phyrexian wizard with trample. Whenever a source deals damage to Rona Talarian Obliterator, that source's controller exiles a card from the hand at random. If it is a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield under your control. Otherwise, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. So, if you just want a looter in cube, this could potentially be the best option. Um, the only other one I think sees a lot of play nowadays is um, Jace Rin's Prodigy. Jace Rin's Prodigy, I think, is better in more kind of like a spellsy style deck, but just in your average looter deck, I'm thinking... Not average looter deck, I'm thinking more in kind of like using the looter to put like... like uh, In like Reanimator, where you're going to be beating down with big creatures. This is a clock, like... Um, I do think the, the, the top ability is kind of flavor text, but just as, as a base level being a looter, and then at some point you can just pay five mana and two life to just turn this into a 5-5 five, five trample that can just start ripping your opponent's hand and you get the things from it. I think is very, very good. Um, yeah. Um, I think this just... It's early game, this is a looter. Late game, it can just kill people. Like That's very, very strong for an effect like this that kind of you're you're already like like looters are very playable in cube, but obviously power creep has definitely happened to them. Like yeah, we've had Jason Prodigy for a while. This is probably comparable to that. I there's always the planeswalker thing of planeswalkers are very strong, and in the right deck that could be stronger. But in your more kind of like in a more kind of like legacy style of cube where where, where there's more things about like creature damage is more important rather than kind of like casting time walk. Um, I think this could be stronger. What do you think, James? What's your yeah, I like this card a lot. Um, I'm pretty high on looters in general. Like, I, I'd happily run Merfolk Looter in a lot of my reanimator decks. Um, 
I find most of the I, I think that is its best fault, by the way, as reanimator. Um I, I think in most of those decks you end up not so all in that you want to just do everything straight away. You want to be discarding cards for value and digging for those reanimation spells. Um and then it also gives you a discard outlet, which obviously you need to put your fatty in the graveyard. Um like yeah, I'd run Murfolk Looter in quite a lot of those decks, and this is a lot better than Murfolk Looter, because the um, firstly it has free toughness that is like meaningfully hard to kill. Um, in terms of like you don't you can't stomp it, and it can like block some real creatures, right? Like if they play a Ragavan, you're really happy with this. Um, and then you get to the late game, and you have five mana lying around. Yeah, this is fantastic. Um, that backside's a real threat. Um, the, I mean, 5-5 five, five Trample, and it will feel like a 5-5 five, five Trample haste, because they will pay their 5 mana and attack for it straight away. That's pretty powerful. Um, I, I guess the only negative you'd put on it is um, there's some amount of like anti-synergy between a looter and an expensive activated ability, because often what you'll be doing later into the game, you know, assuming you've discarded your fatties or whatever already or you've not found them is you'll be discarding excess lands that you don't need um so there's a little bit of tension there i guess between like do i want to discard my extra land or do i want to keep it to get to five mana to flip first but um yeah no in in general i think the cards the cards pretty great honestly no exactly like it's almost like the flip side is almost like your backup in a reanimated deck like say you do the thing that, that that you reanimate your thing awesome but then it just gets passed or something like that like it's gone this gives you that backup reach to kind of keep pushing the damage through in case you don't draw your next reanimation spell or in case your big reanimation target is exiled like it can be your threat yeah for sure it's like well you killed my previous two fatties this is maybe not quite as scary yeah. as Archon Fulty, but you know what it can still kill you and it sure will it will yeah exactly it can still win a game yeah cool next up we have our first black card which is exsanguinator cavalry which is two and a black for a creature vampire knight it is a two free with menace and lifelink good keywords and it has the ability whenever a knight you control deals combat damage to a player put a plus one plus one counter on that creature and create a blood token. Uh, so this is, of course, itself a knight, so you can attack with this and put counters on itself. So you could play it sort of on its own as a growing threat with good keywords, um, which is fine, but honestly not good enough um, for most cubes. So, okay, we want to play more knights in it with it. Now, as a creature lord, I think this looks pretty powerful. The problem is the tribe it is supporting is knights, and there really aren't that many good ones, especially not in black. Yes, knights is supported in this set, but all the other good knight playoffs are blue and white, so I really don't know how you have like knight tribal in your deck in black. I know there are some old cards that support that, Um there's a knight that lets you like play your knights from the graveyard, which is pretty cool. Oh, what well, do you mean Hakon Stromgold Scourge? Yes, that is what I that mean. That one is sick, yeah. 
Yeah, no, so I, I, I could see the Knights thing, yeah, maybe in a more budget cube, it's not going in the most powerful cubes, but yeah, there, there are payoffs, like Hakon lets you replay your knights, Ariel, Knight of Windgrace makes a bunch of lights, you have, like, I guess playable Knight 2 drops in, like, Knight of Grace, Knight of Malice, and then Acclaimed Contender finds you some knights, um... Yeah, I could see that in some cubes. I say probably not like the most powerful of tribal decks you could go for. I don't know if there's like that density of playoffs, but yeah, um, obviously cards like this do help. And if you are in that knight's deck, if you have that knight's deck, a hundred percent you should have this card in your cube. It is good there. Like the counter's great, and make a blood tokens is worth a lot. Like yeah, no, I do, you know, yeah. those, mm. if you're flooding out late game, blood tokens great. Um, yeah, so I've, I've, my, my concerns are more about how supported Knights is from the power level of the card. Um, no, cool, all good. Right, let's move on with Pylon. It is three and a black for a instant with Convoke, which means your creatures can help to cast their spell. Each creature you tap while casting the spell pays for one generic mana or one mana of that creature's color. So you, you, you could cast this for zero by tapping four black creatures, for example. When you do, uh, it reads destroy target creature or planeswalker and surveil two. So four mana for destroying target creature or planeswalker with some kind of upside is pretty standard nowadays. We've seen a lot of these effects. It's basically if you specifically want, if you're kind of doing like putting stuff into the graveyard, like a spider spawning or delirium type of thing, this might be the flavor of that that you want. Um, the convoke aspect is nice as well because it means you can kind of like go in a token deck a bit more or like if like it can kind of it has a spot on an aristocrat deck you can be kind of tapped out and still cast this that could be quite cool um i think it's fine i'm hoping this is really cheap so that if you want to play it you have access to it um outside of that like it's there are super efficient versions um but destroying a creature or a planeswalker is always nice i think there is a i think in most cubes there is an argument for maybe one of these and you pick the one you want. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, I think you do need a decent chunk of creatures. I don't. I think you're pretty sad about it if you're like playing this in your blue-black control deck. You know, um, like yeah, surveil two is good. It's, it actually gets better on more expensive spells, weirdly, because you know, by the time you have four mana, you probably don't need more lands, um, or you're not actively looking for more lands. So if you can surveil lands away, that's really good. Um, but it's just, you know, you compare this to, like, Heartless Act, like, sure, you'll get a little more value when you do cast this, but you're giving up the ability to, like, kill your Vagavan on turn one, kill your Mana Elf, kill your two-drop if it's killing me. Um, it just doesn't keep you alive as well, and, yeah, hitting Planeswalker's good, but, I mean, I don't know about you, I... Actually, quite rarely end up playing like Heroes Downfall in cube decks now. Like it, it just feels a bit slow and like it. Not that it's not playable, but like often your best black decks you end up cutting it right. Um, no, that's fair. I'm. I know. I just said there's room for these, but I am looking at mine. Um, the only one of the the only one of these I'm currently running is Murderous Rider because it is also a creature. Yeah, I think that one's significantly better. Um, and is, and importantly, is a mana cheaper. Yes, certainly. But I but I think the spot I can see this is if like yeah, say you have a aristocrats theme, say or something where you're putting a lot of creatures into play in your black deck, like you know, you're paying bitter blossoms, whatever. 
then this actually becomes quite powerful because yeah you can even threaten removal when you have no mana available and your opponent will never play around removal when you have no mana available unless they're <laughs> unless they've seen this card already so it's um yeah that that's powerful for sure um so probably has a spot in some clue in some cubes i think if you have like yeah a black deck that puts a lot of creatures into play then like cutting a hero's downfall for this is probably a pretty good change cool next up we have traumatic revelation it is one black for sorcery the target opponent reveals their hand you may choose a creature or battle card from it if you do that player discards that card if you don't incubate free so i think part of it, so it's a it was kind of like a um, despise, but if you miss, you still get something. Um, I'm pretty low on this card, to be honest. I think I think despises type effects for like discard that hits creatures specifically has always worked out kind of weak because like you know black's really good at killing creatures. The reason why stuff like duress is pretty good is that it can like disrupt for stuff that would be hard for you to disrupt otherwise um and yeah like sure this gives you a buyout when you miss but like it's pretty bad if you pay two mana to do this and then two mana to flip into your free free you played four mana for a free free this is not a thing you can do and like too much and win win games of cubes you know it's um yeah i i don't see it personally uh what do you think no i think that i think that's completely fair i think so yeah it you are completely right it is effectively one mana for a despise to kind of have the backup of you get a artifact token uh yeah in 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 most power level of cubes i don't think it could see play but there, there is probably an element of in pauper because they don't have things like thought seas or duress, duress is a common, is a common um it's Inquisition. Probably. Inquisition is, I believe, an uncommon. Despise itself is, I'm pretty sure, a common though. Um, if you wanted that right, effect. Okay. No, that's fair. Yeah, it's yeah. I think it's yeah. If it's going to get into yeah. a cube, it'll be a lower power leveled, more budget environment. I, yeah, I think the n- not whiffing part is is interesting. But yeah, whether you just want, yeah, the more efficient version, and if if you get it, great. If you don't. And the thing Fine. is, if you're paying, you, yeah, and if you hand. want to play two for your discard spell, like you could play Agonizing Remorse, which can hit all spells and exiles it, which is often a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, I I don't think the whole buyout if you miss thing is really enough. Like, you know, if you cast this and see a non-creature, I'd much rather have my Agonizing Remorse and be able to take that non-creature than have this incubator token i think in most spots no fair all good all right let's move on to our first red card now with blood feather phoenix it is one they read for a 2-2 creature phoenix with flying and blood feather phoenix can't block it also has whenever an innocent or sorcery spell you control deals damage to an opponent or battle you may pay a red if you do return blood feather phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield it gains haste until end of turn so i uh, I do like this card. It seems very solid. It's a very solid red aggressive card um, that can go into other decks because it can be recursive. Um, just let's do the body first. Just like two mana, two two flyer in red will just get through for damage. Like red is very happy with that. 
how recursive this is, I'm not 100%, just because you do need instances of sorceries that deal damage to an opponent. So I think it gets better if you're running things like Fork Bolt or Arc Lightning, where you can kind of take out, where you can um, move the damage around. So you can kind of like take out a creature and ping your opponent for one, then bring this back on top of that. Like, like, like Fork Bolting their X1, doing them for one, and then pre- playing a red to bring this back. That seems pretty strong. Um, I did have a count through my cube earlier. How many... So in my 540 cube, how many ways do you think, James, I have way of bringing this back? Um, I guess maybe five. Oh, okay. Uh, there's actually 12. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I could see that. It's 12 instant sorceries that can deal damage to an opponent. Obviously, obviously, things like Lightning Bolt, quite a bit of the time you want to use on a creature. You don't necessarily want to use it on an opponent, but it could be used to then bring this back. Do you think... So, do you think 12 is enough? Like, like I'm going with that's a kind of ballparky average. Say with a 540, it's somewhere between like 10 and 15. Say with a 360, it's somewhere between like 8 and 12, that kind of thing. Do you think that's enough? I do think that's enough, actually, because I think 2-mana two 2-2 two, two flyer in red specifically uh, for his mono-red decks is great. Um, I... I think they're pretty happy with that creature already um and then if you have like three ways in your deck i think this gets really strong because um sure often you might want to bolt their creature normally but if bolting them comes with a 2-2 flying haste then yeah in a lot of spots i'll I'll bolt them instead and be pretty happy about it you know deal three to you put a 2-2 flying haste into play so basically deal five to you this turn is uh that's a really big swing this isn't you know comes back and get rid of it at end step this sticks around so it's um it's gonna be a threat a 2-2 flyer is a meaningful threat in a lot of broad states um i'm pretty into this card i think this is like i think often like two drops in mono red um sometimes there's not like a bunch of amazing ones there's some like kind of only okay ones that get in there you know you see things like kari zev making the cut sometimes like fine card but you have like the top tier probably like if you're thinking something like idle on in terms of if we're just thinking mono red but then it does kind of fall off like a lot of them are kind of just two mana tutus or things like that like like they're kind of Someone's with cool effects. You have things like uh, Shaker Kenra, Felden, Ronald Excavator, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think in terms of just the amount of damage that will actually deal to your opponent, it does kind of drop off after Eidolon. Yeah, honestly, I would play this over like most of the two drops for Rodian. Like, honestly, even Eidolon, I feel like, is slightly, I don't know if this is heresy, slightly overrated in Cube specifically. Because <laughs> yep. it's not like modern where every, well, everyone's playing like 90% cheap stuff you know um yeah i i think this card's pretty strong like obviously if you knock against it compared to a lot of those other cards it doesn't have haste so it doesn't like deal that immediate damage but i think i think the evasion makes up for that i think this is um it's a really threatening card but they'll have to kill and when they do kill it but you know all your burn spells are suddenly pretty scary no spectacular cool do you want to take it away with our next one cool yeah so next up we have Death Greeter's Champion. It is two and a red for a 
creature human warrior. It is a 2-1. It has dash for three and a red, uh, which is a mechanic we have seen before, but not, um, not for a bit maybe. So dash is you can pay the dash cost to put the creature into play and it gains haste until end of turn. And then at your end step, if that creature is still in play, you return it to your hand. It also has backup one. Um, so I think this is the first instance of backup we've seen. So backup is um, when this creature enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. Uh, so it can be on itself or it can be on another creature. If that goes on another creature, that creature gains the following ability until end of turn. And in this case, that following ability is double strike. So this always has double strike, but if you put that plus one plus one counter on another creature, it will give that other creature a double strike until end of turn. Um, so when I first read this, I thought it was like kind of bad just because like the body's pretty underwhelming and um, and for free mana. But, but looking at it again, I. There is a bit of an engine here with a dash, right? It's kind of slow, but every turn you dash this, you put a counter on something else, and it gains double strike until end of turn, and then you get this back at your end step, and you can do it again next turn. So it's, it's kind of good if you're flooding out a bit, I guess, um, as a way to like push a lot of extra damage, because it's going to be really hard for them to block that that creature you put the counter on and you know if this creature doesn't have a good attack sure it has haste but you can just not attack with it if you want to just keep that little engine going um having said that it's like that's quite a mana intensive uh sequence of plays right to be doing every turn so um i, I can see the potential um giving double strike maybe to like a really big creature with trample or whatever does seem kind of good but then it's like you know if you just had like another four mana creature that could attack straight away like a hell ride or whatever i think that but you know most spots that's going to be better right but um i think the card does have some potential what do you think yes i think the comparison to things like hell rider or maybe even tall brand like in a like mono red specifically aggro deck this doesn't compete in terms of just like efficiency of the other cards available to you but in for me, this is kind of like a red X deck. I think this card could be very spicy. Like in like a chunky Boros deck where you have like something with a bit of equipment on it, maybe, or you've um, done some other ways of buffing it up, or like a Gruel Stompy deck, again, with the trample creatures, that kind of thing. Give your questing beast uh, for Swamp Swan and Double Strike. That's, oh, that's really scary. It's a lot of damage. Like, it does just kill people. And the fact that at like top decking this with nothing else on the board, the worst case scenario is a three two with double strike. That's for three mana. That is not bad. Like 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 even if you just curve this out and played it itself, yes, it wouldn't have haste. The turn it it comes in, but then yeah, double strike is very good. Like it will kill people. It does kill people. It's um, and it's hard to block. Um, I I mean, I I think three mana three two double strike is. Whilst a powerful card in like a draft environment is just not quite good enough for cube because it lacks that instant impact, right? Um, mm -hmm. but I think yeah, you combine that with um, with the utility of the dash, especially like later in the game. Yeah, I, I can see it all adding up to a playable card for sure. Well, we'll see how we think of the next one because next up we have Hedron Detonator. It is two and a red for a 
2-3 creature goblin artificer. It has whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, Hayden Detonator deals 1 damage to target opponent. It has sacrificed 2 artifacts, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card until end of turn. So, I think this is a cool card. Um, I think it certainly does a lot of things that artifact synergy-based decks like. Um, if you're going wide with artifacts, like if you're making treasure tokens, or if you're just playing it with the shark that we've saw earlier that incubates a bunch, um, that damage will add up over the course of a game. Um, or if you're going down like the artifact aggro style of thing, um, again, like like turning your porcelain legionnaire, getting the damage in straight away, and then you have the creature to kind of go through for some more. I think could be, I think is good. I think is good. Um, the bottom of sacrifice, the bottom sacrifice ability. I do think is something that those decks also like. Like the artifacts decks do like having the ability to sacrifice artifacts, getting some value from your wellsprings, that kind of stuff. Um, the I think this is a solid role player, but just comparing this to most other red three drops, which. It's pro- is it tied with white four drop planeswalkers as just the one of the hardest chunk of things to get into? Um, I think in standard in, mo- in most standard cubes this will struggle, but if you are doing some cool artifact synergies, I think this could have a place in those style of di- in those style of cubes. But yeah, I think uh, outside of that, it is a harder sell. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, as you say, it doesn't really stand on its own. It's a synergy card for sure. Um, I think that the spot that kind of um, stood out for me with this was, yeah, some sort of like red-black, make lots of artifacts, they all trigger things, sacrifice them, they trigger more. You know, you have Mayhem Devils, Disciple of the Vaults. Um, it all adds up to a lot of damage uh, to face. This is... This is, can be a part of that for sure. Yeah, so your triggers deal damage on the way in, um, you, and this gives you like ways to sacrifice them for some amount of value. Um, it you know, sacking two artifacts for one card is for one card that is that's very stingy in 2023. That should be two for two at a minimum, if not like. Yeah, and it's not even a card in hand. It's you have to play it this turn. But so I don't think it's good. That's not good on its own. But like, if you're triggering other stuff when you're sacrificing your artifacts, and those artifacts are like low value, like treasures, blood, food, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, I could see it being a role player in a cool synergy deck. You're playing your only cool tambles and your experimental synthesizers. I've this is a deck I've like yet to see really come together and do its thing, but um, you know, if they keep printing more pieces for it like this, then it gets better, and um, you know, it may well be the pieces are already there, and I've just not seen it yet. Um, no, it's, no, it's, I am, I am well aware that I am a absolute sucker for a synergy card that is underpowered. <laughs> <laughs> I am well aware of this, and it's something I do need to probably look at in my own cube. But that's a topic for another. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, we don't want cubes to all end up the same, right? And I think the the time when this deck comes together, it could be really cool, and it could possibly be quite powerful as well. Mm-hmm. But you just do need a lot of pieces. C- completely fair. Um, do you want to take it away with our second battle of the day? Yeah, I certainly will. Um, so. Next up, we have Invasion of Mercadia. 
Um, someone who knows more about magic law will have to tell me where and what Mercadia is, but um, we're invading it. I will jump in just to cut off any comments. Um, I think you do know where Mercadia is from. Let me name some things for you. Richardson Port, Food Chain, Bribery, Snuff Out. I know what all these cards are. These are all cards that were printed before I played Magic. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, they're all from uh, Macadian masks. Oh, they're of course. That is, that is a sketch. That is a sketch. Yeah. Thank you for saving me from the comments no section. If it helps, it was just another set on Dominaria. So, Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I've heard of that one. Yeah. yeah. Unless, I'm, unless I'm now getting that wrong, in which case, yeah, let me know in the comments. <laughs> And the invasion of Mercadia is one and a red for a battle with four defense counters on it. So that means you'll have to deal four damage to it to flip it. When invasion of Mercadia enters the battlefield, you may discard a card if you do draw two cards. So you get a tormenting voice when it ETBs. We like that for two mana. Um, and it flips into Chiron Flamewright which is a creature goblin spell shaper. It is a free free and has the ability two and a red, tap and discard a card. Create two one one blue and red elemental creature tokens. Creatures you control gain plus one plus zero and haste until end of turn. Um, I think this card's pretty cool actually. Um, I think tormenting voice is like not that far off being good already. Um, like you you kind of need a reason to play it right um but you know a lot of red cards are interesting and then putting creature putting cards in the graveyard you know maybe you're doing some like goblin welder stuff trash for treasure or you know you can very reasonably play red in your reanimator deck and this works in all of those spots and then or even um madness is the other the other good spot um and then this is like pretty meaningfully better than the than tormenting voice because if you can attack it and deal four damage to it, which is not an unreasonable ask if you are putting creatures into play in your madness deck or whatever, um, then you get a very real creature. Um, you get a free free, and this activated ability is not bad at all. This is like will close games. It gives your other creatures haste as well. So maybe you know. You play like a two or three mana creature on six mana and you activate this straight away. You're hitting with that creature's got bigger, it's attacking straight away, and you have two two ones attacking them. I could see it. Um, you need, you know, you're not just putting this in as generic good red card, I think. Um, I don't like it in mono red, for example, but I think, you know, if you're doing something with the Tormenting Voice ability um, when the back ability obviously feeds that into that as well, because it's discarding cards. I, I think it could find some spots. I, yeah, it's basically, yeah, this goes in decks that already specifically want the Thriller possibility, Tormenting Voice, because one thing to kind of, that's, I guess, worth mentioning as well is battles are a, another type in your graveyard. So they will turn on, like, Delirium quicker. They will make your Goyf bigger. Um with the delirium thing, like I don't, it's not worth running if you're just running Dragon Rage Channel. Like you need, like to you kind of you need a like delirium to be a sub theme, I think, for this to be. Unholy heat's good. Like, Unholy's like very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's not good for 
just Delirium, but I, I, you know, I think these themes kind of bleed into each other, right? No, definitely. It stocks your graveyard, which makes your channeler better, and also does a bunch of other stuff, right? No, exactly. I, I, I guess the one thing with it is obviously this doesn't go to the graveyard when you cast it. It goes onto the battlefield, which, when I was thinking about this earlier, that is a little bit awkward. Like, I would... I kind of want a sorcery speed, <laughs> um, tormenting voice that is a different, that is like a it's different just, creature. You want tribal tormenting voice. Yes, <laughs> that's kind of what because uh, uh, because in theory for this to go for this to get that discount in the graveyard, you, you either need to, need to discard it yours in a different way, so it's like a different effect, maybe you fate is looting it away or something like that, or for it to be defeated, then have the creature, then the creature dies. That's a lot of steps, isn't it? It is a lot of steps. Like like it is. Everything I said about like the delirium and the goif thing is true, and maybe this is a thing of invasion of Macadia is better when you have multiple, so that maybe it's four different formats, which is fair. That happens because if you can pitch one to one, if you play invasion of Macadia and then discard another one, then that will turn your things on a bit easier. But but just having more of these card types in cube will naturally help out those. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, you if you surveil it away with your channeler, it's it's yeah. a unique type, right? Um. Yeah, I, I think I see it less as being about the Delirium and more as being about I have a deck that makes me kind of already want Tormenting Voice a bit, and this yeah. is better. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it, it's it's like like Thriller Possibility does exist, which is the instant version, but basically you're losing this, you're losing the instant speed, pushing it back to sorcery to have the potential upside of it being another subtype. Yeah. Or, or, and just and, attacking and it and yeah. flipping into this threat, which is yeah. pretty good. Cool. All right, let's take it away with our next one. So next we have Kenra's Spell Spear. It is one no red for a 2-2 creature jackal warrior. Uh, it has Trample and Prowess, which is importantly, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. It has the activated ability, play three and a blue Phyrexian mana. So again, that is either two life or a blue mana to transform it into Gitaxian Spellstalker, which is a 3-3 creature for Rexian Jackal with Trample, Ward 2, and Prowess Prowess. So the reminder of that is each instance of Prowess triggers separately. So you play a spell and it gets plus 2, plus 2. That is quite strong. So I think this is a very solid creature for like a spells base, maybe like a tempo-y deck, that kind of thing. Like with the Phyrexian mana, you don't have to be in that color but the most natural place for this will be like in a blue deck where you kind of have like ops and like some card advantage that kind of thing um there is definitely a place for this in kind of like like feather the redeemed style like commentary because like this flipping this like with a spell that buffs this is a lot of damage like in like a blitzy style of deck um yeah, yeah, double prowess and trample on a three-three will add up very, very quickly. Um, in higher power level cubes, I'm not sure because you have like more permanent versions of this. Like, is it spell sprite dragon or something like that? Sprite like, dragon, yeah. Sprite dragon, that's it. Like that is a solid card in that kind of deck. This, like, maybe you could see play there, but um, the main place I see this personally is something is something uh, like peasant. It, this is an uncommon. I think this could be very strong there where you have those other effects because like most cantrips are are uncommon you have access to all the good ones you have access to good burn spells that are uncommon like this just could be a very broken card in that kind of environment um what do you think james i think i'm a bit higher on this card even than you actually oh, really? um yeah. yeah i think 
so I agree, obviously, this is kind of a business in, like, a blue-red prowess deck, but I think the upside of this over something like Sprite Dragons, I think this is also, like, pretty playable in mono-red, honestly. Um, like, obviously, you don't want it in, in a, like, 16-creature mono-red deck, but most mono-red decks don't end up, like, that creature-dense, and um, we spoke earlier about there not being, like, a a huge amount of great mono-red um, twos, and... I think if you compare this to something like Abbot of Carol Keep, which sees a lot of play, I think I kind of prefer this, actually. Um, the second point of toughness really matters. It makes for a like, threat, uh, threat of activation thing pretty real, or threat of triggering it thing pretty real on the prowess. And then um, only three mana to flip. Like, you know, on turn... If you have four, four lands in play, you can go... Flip this, bolt something. You're attacking with a five-five trample ward two. It's um, that's scary. It's yeah. a pretty scary creature, um, and it doesn't ask a lot of you. Um, yeah, I'm kind of high on this card actually. Um, say the trample's really nice, especially with plump spells. Like, you know, you titan strength this thing, for example. It's absolutely <laughs> huge. Yeah. Your opponent's dead. Um, yeah, I I could see this in a few different decks. Honestly, I I I quite like it. Um, yeah, only one red pip, easy to cast. You know, compared to a sprite dragon or something. I'm I'm pretty in. No, sweet. No, I'm glad to hear. Yeah, yeah it does look like a good card. And yeah, it, yeah, it just being an uncommon, it could also see a playing a lot of cubes because of that. But yeah, good card. Cool. Um, next up we have Rampaging Raptor. It is two red red for a creature dinosaur at rare. It's a 4-4 with trample and haste. Apparently red gets questing beasts now, which is pretty <laughs> <Yep>. cool. Um, <laughs> you can pay two and a red to give it plus two plus O until end of turn. Not limited to once each turn. So if you have enough mana, you can activate that multiple times. And in keeping the Questing Beast theme, it has whenever Rampaging Raptor deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to target Planeswalker that player controls or target battle that player protects. Um, so that would be a battle that you have played and given to your opponent to protect. Um, this is a scary card, for sure. Like, 4-4 Trample Haste is just really big. Um, like it's kind of what red wants out of its two drops. Um, yeah, whether this goes in, whether this in like mono red or gruel monsters. Um, in terms of red fours, like Hellrider is kind of the gold standard. Um, I don't think it's better than that. But compare this to like Hazard, which sees a lot of play. I, I think you could make a pretty, a pretty defensible argument that this might be better. Um, Hazret, for those that don't know, is a 4-mana 5-4 indestructible haste, but you can only attack if you have one or fewer cards, and you can pay mana to discard a card and deal two to them. Um, I, I think you can argue this is better, because this always attacks on turn 4, um, often Hazret doesn't, um, and that Killing Planeswalker ability, anyone who has played with Questing Beast knows, is pretty powerful. Um, if you play your Planeswalker, they play this, and you're not just losing your Planeswalker, you're taking four and losing your Planeswalker. That's really good. And then the pump thing, like, this will, like, this isn't 
how you want to spend your mana a lot of the time, but you know, sometimes you just have mana to spend and this is quite scary. Um there's a real threat of activation thing there. Um the trample also synergizes nicely, obviously, with the uh dealing damage to planeswalkers, like you can't just jump block it. Um yeah, I I I quite like this card. I think it can see a lot of play. Yeah, I I don't have too much to say about this card other than it's just really good. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's I like the fact there's less words on it than Questing Beast. But um <laughs> yeah, just four four trample haste for four mana is just good. Like I'm yeah, I'm looking at my red four drops right now. So currently I have Caves of Chaos Adventurer, Hellrider, and Torbrand. So the Hellrider and the Torbrand, I think I like the gold standard four drops for the mono red deck. But the fact that this is gonna be good in the mono red deck, but also good in anything else that's playing red as well means that maybe there's an argument that Torbrand maybe maybe I don't know. Yeah, like just... I think you could argue for this being better than Torbrand. Um yeah. it's certainly better as well in Torbrand really only goes in mono red and this, you know, can go in like any aggressive red deck, whether that be Gruul or Boros or something like that. It doesn't have that super restrictive casting cost and like it just has this huge impact straight away. Um even if you have like a completely empty board, it doesn't need any help, which something like Torbrand does. Um and I suppose you could argue Hellrider does too, but I think Hellrider is just so powerful that it's it's hard to cut. No, exactly. And that's the thing of like Hellrider still just still just does work with mana dorks when you need it to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really one of the cards that has survived power creep very well, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, they made it perfect first time. Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> nice. All right, let's take it away with our second Praetor of the day. We have Urobrask. It is two red-red for a legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, which is a 4-4 four -four with first strike. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Urobrask deals one damage to target opponent, and importantly, you add a red mana. Then... It has the activated ability, pay a red, exile Urbrask, then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control, activate only as a sorcery, and only if you cast three or more instant and or sorcery spells this turn. I do feel like I don't need to read the second half of this card, because I don't think you'll ever need to do it. But let's be thorough. When you do that, you transform it into a saga, um, The Great Work. Its first chapter is, The Great Work deals three damage to target opponent and each creature they control. The second chapter is you create three treasure tokens. And the third chapter is until end of turn, you may cast instant and sorcery spells from any graveyard. If a spell cast this way, we put into a graveyard, exile it instead, exile the great work, then return it to the battlefield. So you get the front side of Urbask looping around again. So we have another four drop here in red to talk about. Um, this one is more interesting. Whether it's better, I think is something we can kind of talk about. But this is... It's a weird card. Four mana, first strike in red for four drop is a fine baseline. As kind of like it comes in, it does that. Everything we were talking about is kind of the upside and the cool stuff to do with it. So this is kind of a similar card to like Burgie, God of Storytelling, in that it makes mana when you cast spells. This is only instant and sorceries, and is one more mana to get down in the first place. But then the flip side of that is also a four four first strike. Burgi is a very powerful card. Like it can do stuff with storm. Whether this or it can do stuff with storm or kind of spell slinger style strategies. Whether this gets into decks as kind of another version of that or a replacement, I am not a hundred. That's the interesting part for me. That's kind of where I'm not sure where this card lies, and I'm not sure how 
it's actually going to end up. That's why I, I kind of don't really, if I'm honest, care about the backside because you don't. If you're putting this in, you're doing it for the whenever you cast an sorcery spell, deal a damage to your opponent, make a red. Because kind of the dream is you just keep playing like burn spells, or you play increasingly or increasingly cheap red spells that kind of draw you cards, keep dealing your damage to your opponent. You never really care about the flip side. I mean, yes, the third chapter of the backside is effectively Yorgmos will. But by the time you've got there, you could have just killed them with the 4-4 first strike that does the thing. All that means to me, I think, that kind of... I don't think this is a replacement for Virgie in, like, Vintage Goop. If you're trying to do, like, fairer Storm, if that is a possible to be a sentence in like a legacy cube then this could have a place we're just trying to like you you don't have a storm payoff you just have like cantrips and spells that you're just kind of continually pinging your opponent with like making mana that kind of thing then then it could see a place um what's your take james i know i kind of rambled a bit there but... no i mean it's a co- yeah it's a it's, it's a really interesting card i i feel like it there's a couple of places where it looks like it goes and it kind of just falls short and in both of them i think in terms of like i'm playing this on the fair like maybe i have like a high spell density um and i'm trying to get my opponent dead um like you know sure if you play this untap attack with it play some play a bunch of spells you can have a really explosive turn for sure but also like this is true of like of most four drops you would play in that sort of deck um in terms of in a storm deck, uh, trying to play the Burgi role, um, obviously the upside is it's also a win condition, right? Um, but honestly, that's like it's a pretty clunky one, and that's not really the uh, the pain points in those storm decks. I think that's doesn't make up for the fact that it costs an extra mana um, versus the front side of Burgi and Burgi. Um, you know, as a really good portion of the time you want to play it as the horn, um, because that's just huge card advantage. It gets you through your deck incredibly quickly. You can often see every card in your deck if you untap with a horn, um, and even like Fast's Oracle kill them, um, or Brain Freeze them out, or whatever it might be. Um, this doesn't do that, it doesn't have that split capability. Um, and the extra mana means it's like significantly harder to um, play this and go off in the same turn. Um, often the, you know, if you go like Burgi Ritual, you, you tend to have like as much red mana as you need for the rest of the turn. The pain point is often, like they say, you go Burgi Pyretic Ritual, for example. Um, the pain point is often. Well, I tapped all of my lands to play my Burgi and my Peretic Ritual. Now I only have red mana. Um, and adding that extra mana onto that obviously increases that problem significantly. Um, I don't think the one damage for each spell really makes up for that. Um, so yeah, and yeah, you can flip it. The I, I, I <laughs> don't believe this matters. Um, and honestly, the flipped side is like sure it's powerful but it doesn't really like contribute to winning the game that much in storm like i suppose there's a well like i suppose it would come up if you had it in your storm deck that you'd like play it not be able to go off flip it kill a bunch of their stuff now you have some more time 
But the other thing in Storm is, like, if you play a creature in pass, like, especially if it's game one, they generally have all these removal spells that they've not been able to do anything with because you're playing a Storm deck. So they'll just be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, fantastic, I have something to do with my Doomblade and kill it, and it kind of didn't matter that much. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I don't think it gets there quite, but I'm, like, very willing to be proven wrong. Um, and Because I, I think Burgie's, like, a really sweet card. I love drafting that card. Um, so if this, if, even if it's a slightly worse version, I could see playing it. But um, I have my doubts at the moment. Yeah, like, like it is something I could see them throwing like, into the Mitgo Vintage Cube just because it's a new mythic. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe I, we'll I see it. it as one something that will be in the Mitko Vintage Cube for like one to two iterations and then be cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, cool. Awesome. Right, do you want to take it away with our last card of the day, James? I will. Next up, we have Voldaren Frillseeker. It is two and a red for a creature vampire warrior. It's a one-one with backup two. So when it enters, you can put two plus one song counters on a target creature, and if it's another creature, it gets the following ability until end of turn. The following ability in this case being, you can pay one to sacrifice this creature, and it deals damage equal to its power to any target. Um, This is not good stats, is the first part of the problem. Um, You're getting three free worth of stats for free mana, this is not like exciting in cube, so you need this ability to be really good. Um, and you're giving something the ability to you can fling it at an opponent until end of turn. Um, so I guess ideally you want to put this on like a high power creature to maximize that damage, but hopefully not a creature that has such value to you that you don't want to sacrifice it. So like obviously it will come up, but you just like put it on a big thing. You know, maybe you hit them with a big thing, then you sacrifice it and kill them. Like, yeah, sure, that that totally comes up. But I don't see this being like really reliable enough. And the fail case if you put the counters on itself, you played a free-free that you can then pay one and sack it to deal its power to a target. I I think is pretty weak, honestly. Um yeah, it's the fact you can only like get this ability on one other thing. It's not like really, it's not a repeatable stack outlet. I think that that really hurts it in like an aristocrats com- context. Um, I don't really see the home for this card, but I'm willing to be proven wrong. No, that's fair. Like, so firstly, I think this card is cool, but again, I'm willing to admit that the, the homes for it are a bit niche. So my initial thought was like, oh, is there any kind of combos with backup and like persist, but like nothing immediately comes to mind on that the okay again magical christmas land but go with me on this you have a sneak attack <laughs> and you have a creature with eight power in your hand but i haven't won the game but why you, haven't no, i won the game no, but you're about to james you're about to <laughs> you have sneaked <laughs> so like i see this as a potential so so firstly i like fling effects i know that they have their drawbacks this being on the the base level for this being a three mana three three creature means it's probably the second best drawback. Like there's the one that we had that's a land from a previous set uh, from uh, one of the Zendikars. Like it front side is 
fling a thing, backside is uh, tap land. If you sneak attack in a creature with 8 power, and then this, you put two counters onto the creature with 8 power, it now has 10 power, you attack with that, they take 10, you then pay 1, fling this at them, they're dead. The only place I could see this is in any deck where you are cheating something into play, and it gives you that win that you, I will admit, might already have in the bag, but it gives you it that turn earlier. Yeah, um, I can see it doing cool stuff, and you know, obviously, if you shallow graves, something I guess that works mm-hmm. as well. But the issue is, like, I feel like if I've built my deck well, I really mm-hmm. don't need help. That that's not the scenario where I need my cards. Yes, but good. James, I don't build my decks well. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, what happens when you d- you have your sneak attack and you mm-hmm. have this card that you've put into support sneak attack, but that's it? Mm-hmm. You can't just sneak this in and like that doesn't do anything. It's a <laughs> like it needs place. two cards to go <laughs> with my sneak attack. Yes, now. yes, no, is... I know. I, there is definitely a thing of don't play bad cards to make your good cards better. Yes, that is. Yeah, exactly. This is, this but, is the epitome of that. I will but, entirely concede that. Point. If you have sneak attack in your deck, you can put in Ashen Rider. You can put in Inferno Titan. You can put in Grave Titan. You can put in Emrakul. You 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 don't. You can put in Woodfall. Pri- you need no help. Yeah. You need no help. <laughs> you attack them okay. with. You do yeah. the thing. You don't need this like random free free in your deck that doesn't really help you the rest of the time. Because oh, cool! Look at me. I got to like deal some more damage when I executed my putting in Archon of Cruelty with my sneak attack. No, this doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> okay. Noted. Sorry. Disparage your dreams. Yeah. It's probably safe to say this isn't going to make it on your top five cards of the set. Uh, it would. It would be surprising. Yes. <laughs> I think it will. Yeah. Find out next week. But it's. <laughs> it would be surprising. <laughs> no, fantastic. That is a. Great segue, I think. Um, so we are going to leave it there. James, thank you again for doing this with me. Thank you for your insights and talking me down off of some bad cards. Anytime, anytime. Always happy to help. Cool. And thank you very much to everyone uh, watching and listening. Do remember to subscribe so you get notified when part two comes out in a couple of days or so. Thank you very much for watching, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.